Lord, we pray that this time we've set aside for you would be fruitful. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word, that each one of us would be strengthened, encouraged, drawn closer to you. And we pray, Lord, that we would be conformed to the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. In Numbers chapter 13, the story of Moses sending 12 spies into the land of Canaan. The uh, When we were in Israel, we our guide took us to a place that overlooks this big uh, valley where these spies would have been sent through. And up top um, of this mountaintop, looking down, and there was an ancient, ancient, thousands of years old citadel. Uh, it is mostly somewhat in ruins, but there was still some stones, and it was amazing that you could see everything down there. there the When you get the high ground, you have such an advantage over people. And whether those spies went through at night, whether they somehow evaded detection through this place to go in and to spy out the land, it's, it's curious to me. What we learn in this part of the story, of course, very famous part, Numbers chapter 13, the 12 spies come out after viewing and they give a report to leadership to Moses. And look at verse 28, it says, um, verse 26, They went and came to Moses and to Aaron, to all the congregation of the children of Israel, unto the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them, and unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled, and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. This is the first time the Bible introduces us to something that we may read over, and it doesn't seem all that important to understand what you're initially reading here, but this person called Anak, the descendants of this person are really found in a lot of stories down through the Bible starting here. Remember what has just preceded this. Moses has taken the children of Israel out of Egypt. They have been in Egypt for 400 years when Joseph or Jacob took his 12 sons and they went down there and became a nation. That tribe turned into a nation in the hundreds of years in slavery in Egypt. When they come out they are now the, the Bible is now reintroducing us to what we refer to as the promised land. And these are the, these 12 spies go in. And when they come out, they give a report of having seen something a little different. A lot different. Look at verse 29. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. And the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people. Caleb, one of the twelve spies. He said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel. Always find that interesting, that the Bible records, God describes in His Word the report of those ten spies that said, we can't do it. People are too big. I don't care what God told us. We can't do that. 
God described that report with what adjective? Evil. When God gives us clear instructions, in this case, He told them He wanted them in the land. He was going to drive out the inhabitants before them. When they saw people that were much bigger than them and they came out and they decided that God was not able to move them out for them, that they could not overcome them even with His help, God defined that as evil. You know, there's a, there's a lesson throughout all time for people that want to serve this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He likes to be believed. And He likes for His followers to know, to believe, to think, to assume He's big and he can handle anything. These ten spies, God buried them this day because they melted the heart of the people. Not only did they not believe, they painted a picture to the rest of the nation and the the Bible tells us that their hearts melted and they refused to go in. Often use this as, as an example. Whenever you have the opportunity to speak to people, God's people, to Christians, I remember this, do not discourage them. You can tell them the truth. You can tell them something that they may not like to hear as long as it's biblically true. But you don't intentionally discourage people and make them think God can't do something. Because God buried those ten people that day. They discouraged no one else the rest of their lives. Now, what I'm focusing on is this people that they saw. Look at verse 32. They brought up the evil report. Then it says... uh, They were saying the land though which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. Now they start to describe these people. Look at verse 33. There we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers and so we were in their sight. There's some deep Biblical studies about just who these people were that uses the word giants. It's also, I think, the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 6 when God flooded the earth. And it said that there were giants in the land in those days. Whatever, we're leaving that alone. But there is something a little different. I should say a lot different about these people of Anak. Remember what these people that are saying we can't handle these, these Anakims. What have they already seen God do? Think of one, they just came through the Red Sea. God put the ocean back for them to walk on dry ground, but when they get in to see these Anakins, something got in their imagination and they made up their mind, God cannot handle this. It's a strange thought. It also shows you the fickleness of the human condition, how easily we, quickly we forget they saw these people that they described, and I'm not disputing, they were, as we'll see, they were very big people. They were giants. There was something extraordinary about who these people were. And it scared the Dickens out of these Israelites. They wanted no part of them. And because of this, they turned, and God sent them in the wilderness for 40 years until the generation of adults that had made up their minds, God can't do this, God buried them out in the desert, just walking them around until their children grew up and He took them in. And that's where we're going to pick this up because these people, the Anakins, are still there. They didn't die out. They didn't pack up and move. They didn't have a town council meeting and say, we saw these Israelites come in. 
And maybe we better get out of here before they come back in 40 years. They are still there. Turn to, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 9. And before we advance too far in, down the timeline, in Deuteronomy 9, Moses is recounting this story to the people of Israel before he dies. He is reminding them of uh, their wrong. Deuteronomy 9, verse 1. Hear, O Israel, thou art to pass over Jordan this day. So they're getting ready to go into Jordan. Excuse me. Go into Israel. To go in to possess nations greater and mightier than thyself. Cities great and fenced up to heaven. That's what those spies said. That their cities are walled, they're great, they're fenced to high heaven. A people great and tall. The children of the Anakims. Whom thou knowest, and of whom thou hast heard, say, who can stand before the children of Anak? Moses is giving them a reminder of why they've just spent 40 years in the wilderness. And when it's now time, they've been raised up, they've been prepared, and they're supposed to go in, he is reminding them, those same people are still in there. And your parents made a decision that they couldn't overtake them And we've now spent 40 years burying every single one of them except for two. Joshua and Caleb, the two guys that were in there that came out and said, we can take it. They are huge. The cities are walled. They're fenced. But we can do it. Moses describes, he gives us a a clue here that the children of Israel know about those people. He says, those Anakims who you knowest. Think in our lives problems that we have that we know about. We all have, we all are somewhat at least self-aware, some more than others, of things in our life, our shortcomings, our uh, deficiencies. If you're married, you know them a lot more than people who aren't married. Because when you're with somebody day in and day out, you tend to notice something. Why are you doing that? And it gets brought up in conversations, amazingly. You know the things that you do that bother other people and you also... Know about them what bothers you. And here, these people knew of a problem and they didn't take care of it 40 years ago. Chances are the problem hasn't gotten easier. And you see something, and that's that's somewhat what this Bible study is about. If you know about something, especially if God has drawn your attention to it, if it's a problem, if it's something you can solve, if you're pretty darn sure God has laid it on your heart, I'm supposed to be taking care of that. There's a great reward for doing it like that. And there's a pretty large penalty of just putting it off and putting it off and never confronting it. See this with raising kids. There's things you can correct when they're one and a half and you never see it, you never see it again. And there's things you can let go, let metastasize, let it get a root in a person's life, and you see it forever. Just kidding. But it's true. We all have it. Even if we're 43, 44, there's something in my life that it it may come up and if I don't deal with it now, by the time I'm 60, it may be an enormous problem. We all see this. Our nation has problems like this. Things that could be taken care of. When the United States was first being formed, we came very close to eradicating slavery. Very close. And it failed 
founding fathers thought that the next generation, their sons would surely take care of it, and it didn't happen. And it grew. And it grew enormously until the 18, latter half of the 1850s, it got really bad to where it was starting to even encroach into the north. And it became more than bloody. The death toll in the American Civil War dwarfs anything of the other wars, even combined. We lost more people in the first major war, Shiloh and Tennessee, than all other wars previously combined up to that point. We were losing 20,000 people a day. It's amazing. In the Vietnam War, in the Korean War, we both lost about 58,000, give or take, in each of those. We lost almost that amount in three days in Gettysburg. Because our nation let a problem go on, a terrible problem that people knew was wrong. They knew what was wrong. Nobody had a, a clean solution. Everybody kind of realized that the only solution is going to be tough, but by the time you got to 1860 and 1861, the solution was terrible. It needed to be done, but it should have been taken care of a long time before that. And because it wasn't, it lasted four and a half years, and we lost millions. People suffered tremendously on both sides, in all races. It was terrible. Think if by just voting we could have taken care of that problem, say, in the 1790s. Look at verse 3, Deuteronomy chapter 9. Understand therefore this day that the Lord thy God is he which goeth over before thee as a consuming fire. He shall destroy them, and he shall bring them down before thy face, so shalt thou drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord said unto thee. Sometimes a problem, even though it, it is significant, it can be taken care of quickly. And there are other times, if we don't get in on God's timing, it can, be a, it can last a lifetime. And it can cause a problem, it can cause a stress and decline throughout every generation or through every decade of a person's life where if it was taken care of at the beginning you'd never have to deal with it again and that's God's plan this is what he's getting across through this one nation through this one family this one people group the Anakins look at verse 4 speak not thou in thine heart after that the Lord thy God has cast them out from before thee saying for my righteousness the Lord hath brought me in to possess this land. He's telling them, when I do send them out from before you, it's not because you people were so right. It's not your righteousness. You're going to see here the reasons why he did. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord doth drive them out from before thee. So here's one part of the reason why he does it. We sometimes, and I've read into this a lot, in today's Christian circles, there are a lot of people that if they are very heavily centered only on the New Testament, they have an enormous problem dealing with what we're talking about. God asking His people to get rid of an entire other group of people. One reason for that is, if you've grown up in Thayer County, Nebraska, you haven't seen the kind of wickedness that the Bible's talking about. Even if you were sent off to war, you may not have encountered what God is talking about here. Some of the nations that he asked them to destroy were doing things that are complete unspeakable. We're, we're even learning now yet about 
some of the things they did with child sacrifices. God wanted it to end. He says, I'm going to do this, not because you guys are so righteous, but because of the wickedness of those nations. Look at verse 5. Not for thy righteousness or for the uprightness of thine heart dost thou go to possess their land, but for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee, and that... Here's the second part. Sometimes the nations are just terribly evil, but also in this instance, that he may perform the word which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You learn something about God in the second half of verse 5. He has a very long memory for his promises. He is telling these guys that now that we're going in and if I drive them out from before you, it may not even be because you're doing everything right, but I made a promise to Abraham, that covenant, and I will perform it. I promise that I would give him and his descendants this land. Now we're going in. And as we read through these pages, we learn in every page, the Israelites very rarely did things right. But you learn right here a couple of the reasons why God still worked through them. It was his desire. Right or wrong in our eyes, it was his desire for those people to dwell there. Now, we're specifically following this man, this people group of the Anakins throughout the history of our Bible. Moses sent the 12 spies in. They saw they came back. The children of Anak, and they're huge. They come out and they walk for 40 years. This time, 40 years later, they're ready to go in and they know they're still in there. Let's go to now to Joshua chapter 11. Because we know Joshua is the military chapter of the Old Testament. He is the military leader. They are going in to possess the land. And we see here in Joshua 11, they run into these people. Look at verse, uh, starting at Joshua 11, verse 16, there is a summary of Joshua's victories. And look at verse 21. And at that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakims from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities. So after all of that, Joshua goes in and he finally takes care of the problem. Except that he didn't. Next verse. There was none of the Anakims left in the land of the children of Israel, comma, only. Or that could be except in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod there remained. Joshua did a lot. And he, he was a fantastic leader. But the Bible does tell us in Joshua that throughout his lifetime, it was still too much for this one leader to possess all the land. And in this instance, he did leave some of, the, some of these Anakims and they, they were pushed into some places and it lists the, the three places there. Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. So you, when we get into Joshua, you see that Joshua, he went after them, but they were still left. They're still around. And Joshua... When he goes the way of all the earth, as the Bible says, what happens right after him? We know that the next book in the Bible is Judges. And it says that when Joshua and the people that were his age died off, the people were not good leaders. And they did not have a strong memory of what God did for them. And that's why the book of Judges is a constant 
cycle of them doing evil in the sight of God, them being oppressed, God raising up a judge like a Gideon, a Samson, somebody, a Deborah, throwing it off, them living right for a little while, and then going back to doing things that are wrong. And that is throughout the book of Judges. After Judges, let's go to 1 Samuel. There's Ruth, and then 1 Samuel chapter 17. Remember what we found in Joshua. He destroyed the Anakims, except for in three places, Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. When you get to 1 Samuel 17, if you have a header in your Bible, it will say David and Goliath. The Philistines in verse 3, 1 Samuel 17, verse 3, the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath. Now, I have to be perfectly honest here. There is no scripture in the Bible where it says Goliath was a descendant of Anak. But if you follow all the inferences and you see the physical features of this guy Goliath, I don't think I would be judged too harshly to say this Goliath is a descendant of these people we first looked at, the Anakims. Remember who, where we first saw them, Numbers 13. The twelve spies are sent in by Moses. And what they come out and say? In there we saw the children of Anak. And that's why we're so scared. They're, they're enormous. They're huge. We are like grasshoppers in their sight. And there's no way, even though we came to the Red Sea, we cannot handle these people. That's the impression it made on them. And you come through, down through Joshua's time, and those people were pushed into a place called Gath. You get into David's time, and now there is one guy. He comes out of the place of Gath. And the Bible starts to describe him. His name is Goliath. And look at verse 4. His height was six cubits and a span. People that know what cubits are tell me that's about nine feet. Verse 5. He had a helmet of brass upon his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. I don't know how much a shekel weighs, but if I even had five 5,000 quarters, 5,000 dimes, 5,000 pennies, that'd be a lot. That'd be heavy. You ever picked up a bag of change to take it to the bank? Money is heavy because it's metal. And however big this was, that's a big fella that has this as his armor. This Goliath guy was huge. When we get into a little bit farther, you're going to see there's even some physical, almost genetic problems or anomalies with this guy and his family. It's strange when you start to dig in and biblically research these people, the Anakins. So we're now down to to David's time. You know this story forwards and backwards, how David goes out. David is a teenage kid probably, and he goes out there and he defeats Goliath. And it is here. It is this story that puts David on the map. And from this point on, or at least I shouldn't say from this point on, well, from this point on the Bible concentrates on David. Then David becomes the greatest king of all time. And where did that all start? Why did God work through David? I can tell you one reason. 
God didn't give me a bullet point of exactly why every reason he did work through David or was on his side. I think we've learned one. God wanted these Anakins out of the land. Something strange about them. And when David stepped up to fight them, he's going to put an end to a problem that God and his people have had for generations. God was on David's side for some several different reasons. It says he was a man after his own heart early in his life. He had some courage. This guy stood out there on that plane in that field to fight Goliath and all the, when all the professional soldiers said no way. And I think there's something to learn about God through that. Once David did that, God empowered him. He loves courage like that. So David goes out, and you know the story. The rock hits him in the head. doesn't necessarily kill him. He might have, I guess. He runs over. He takes Goliath's sword out, which is enormous. David raises it up, and he takes Goliath's own head off with his own sword, Goliath's sword. And we learn later, David takes that sword, Goliath, takes it home, and he puts it up on his mantle. That's his conquering trophy above the fireplace. And later in life, when David is older, he goes back to battle and he goes and he takes that thing and he goes out to battle with the Philistines again. And for that, we go to 2 Samuel chapter 21. 2 Samuel chapter 21. So we followed the... Anakins from the 12 spies that first went in. That's our first picture in hundreds and hundreds of years in the Bible. They'd been in Egypt for a while. And when they go in, the report comes back, the children of Anak are in there. And remember what we saw in Deuteronomy. Moses told them, he said, you know about those people. Now, there, what I, what I, The reason I bring that out, the Bible doesn't, you know, it's a very long book, but there are so many topics that it, it doesn't just give you the beginning and end of every single person, every single city, of every tribe. Sometimes it will mention something about a person or a city as if you already know about it, and we don't. Sometimes the Bible will mention, and this is a good example, where Moses, we, we're, we're listening into Moses' conversation with the Israelites, and he says, you guys know about these people. Well, we don't. We weren't living there with them. We're getting a little bit of picture that at least we know those people knew a lot about them. The Anakins. Moses, Joshua, Caleb, those guys, they knew about them. David's time. I think it's safe to assume they knew about these people. Number one, one of them, Goliath comes down and demands, you give me one guy to fight, the winner will represent, his nation will win. If I beat David... You guys are our slaves. If David slays me, all us Philistines will be your slaves. People knew about this, this family group. However big of a lineage they were, if they had an entire city, if they just all lived in one house, we don't know that. But the Bible seems to indicate that the people living in the Bible, they all knew about this Andre the Giant, this Hulk Hogan guy. So here we are in 2 Samuel 21, and now David's an older guy. Look at verse 15 in chapter 21. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. 
And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed faint. He's getting tired. And Ishbi Benob, which was of the sons of the giant. Who is this guy? He is Goliath's son. Now David, you could probably find out here if we, if we studied the Bible well how many years ago it was that he had killed Goliath. But revenge is a very strong motive. You have to, as we see here now in these next eight verses or so, Goliath's family, his sons, it would seem had a, re, a strong motive for revenge to get David. Their dad was dead. and He was a champion, the Bible says. These people are coming after David. He was one of the sons of the giant. It says, The weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword. Because David took his dad's, he thought to have slain David. These people wanted their pound of flesh. and They wanted David bad. Keep in mind, David, all of Israel, is dealing with a problem that could have been taken care of when Moses sent those 12, right after they sent those 12 spies in. God was not only ready to go in and push them out for them, he was demanding that they do that. To the point that how angry did he get when they wouldn't go in? They walked for 40 years till they all died off. He wanted it bad. Let's go in there. Let's take care of this. But because they wouldn't, go through Joshua's time, through all the book of the Judges, through Saul, David's time, and even after killing Goliath, he's still dealing with this. A problem that has festered. Verse 17, But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. David was not the young cat that he was before, and they're telling him, If you get killed in battle, our people are going to lose heart. They are not going to be as confident, and they're going to give up. You can't be lost in battle. From now on, you stay behind on the throne, and we will go out. That's what we saw there in verse 16. David didn't kill Goliath's son. One of his servants did. One of his family members did. Look at verse 18. It came to pass after this that there was again battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai, the Hushathite, slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. This is another son of Goliath. One by one. The lightsaber has to go take care of these people. They want David. And Goliath's sons are not going to stop. Verse 19, There was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines, where Elhanan, the son of this fellow, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. We're now into the third one. The third relative of Goliath is making war, trying to come after David. Verse 20, And there was yet a battle in Gath, where was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers, and on every foot 
six toes. This is what I mentioned earlier about there's something about this. It says he was also born to the giant. This son of Goliath had six fingers. And I've known a guy. He had a, an extra little part of a thumb removed on one hand. But this guy, you know, that, that's, a, that's an anomaly. It was easily taken care of in today's surgical medicine. This guy had exactly six on each hand and each foot. He's different. These, these people, the, these Anakins and the children of Goliath, there was something going on with them. And you can see why, picture in your mind, while some professional soldier said, no, sir, I am not going out there. I don't care if I've been promised the, the king's daughter as a bride. They wouldn't go out there. See the picture the Bible paints of some of these pictures? Six fingers? Six toes on each hand? Well, you know, the first thing when I read that, it, when David is out there in front of Goliath, it's kind of a picture of Jesus fighting not just evil, but maybe even the Antichrist. What number do we associate with the Antichrist? <laughs> it, just, it happens to be the number six. He had his... The weight of one of his armor was 600 shekels. He, this guy's got six fingers. six. To, it's strange. But it's almost as if the Bible paints this picture. Verse 21, When he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, the brother of David, slew him. So this would be David's nephew. Goes out and slays this guy. And look at verse 22. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. And it's in that verse, finally, it's in that verse, finally, that this subject is put to rest biblically. Finally, they never have to deal with this problem again. Now think of the battles, the blood that was spilled, from the time Moses sent those 12 spies in, coming all the way down to David, not just David's time, toward the end of David's time. He can't even go out and fight anymore. His kids tell him, you stay in here, we can't lose you. He's older. And at the end of his life, his relatives, his, his family, is taking care of finally the last, it would seem, of the Anakins. In our lives, we, we shouldn't wait until the end to either take care of a problem, or do something for the Lord. James 4.17 says, To him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's a sin. Remember what Moses told those children. You know about those Anakims. See, they, they knew that was a problem. They knew that God had commanded them to go in there, that he would kick them out for them. If we know we're supposed to do something, God has a very good reward when it's done in a timely manner. And there are almost, there's always going to be consequences if it's not. If it's either delayed or just completely disobeyed. There's something to be said about that military style of, an, of obeying a direct order instantly. The Bible called Moses the meekest man on earth. Meek is something, somebody that is easily led. He doesn't fight back. He hears a command and he does it. He doesn't complain. He doesn't argue. He hears a command and he does it. When God has those kind of people, he works 
through those kind of people. This whole idea of something that starts at the beginning, that it can be taken care of before it ever becomes a big problem, we can look at the flip side of it, of a part where, say, Satan wanted to rub out a certain person or a certain people group. Remember in Egypt, before those people ever even thought of coming out, Pharaoh was drowning every male child. But Moses' mother saw that he was a good kid. Her heart broke, I'm sure, as all the mothers did. But she made up her mind, I, I'm not doing They're not getting my boy. And she made a ark, put it down in the river, and it just so happens that the daughter of Pharaoh comes down there to bathe, hears that kid crying, falls in love with it, takes it into the palace because she's going to keep it as her own, sends a servant out to go get a Hebrew woman to nurse it, and it's Moses' mother. Moses' mother and the child are now in the palace. They're living the life of a queen. What if that child had been drowned? Yes, we have to assume God would raise somebody up. It's, It's difficult for us to think that somebody could do what Moses did. Only God can answer that question. The Bible is littered with these kind of stories where Joseph didn't die in that pit and Joseph did not remain in that prison. He was brought out and he was put in a place where he he saved his family when Jacob brought those 12 sons into Egypt because there was a famine in the land. Moses would come back 80 years later from the wilderness and he would deliver the nation of Israel. Think how close Satan came to getting that kid before he ever grew up. Fast forward even to Jesus' time. Herod tries to get rid of every kid. He now knows there's a king somewhere. He's been born somewhere in the last two years and he's going to kill every kid that's two years and younger to try to make sure he gets this king because he doesn't want him to overthrow, be, to be overthrown. And all those kids are destroyed except... God had warned Joseph in a dream, telling him, get out of here and go down to Egypt. And Because of that, he was saved. You're probably thinking, I know in preparing this, my mind went through a lot of places in my life. I'm I'm going to be 44 next month. I've already had a few times in life where I can look back and think, I was thinking really good that day. Because one good decision got me a long ways. And also, it's the opposite. You think back to some problems you have in your life, I know right where this started. I I can remember the day that this started in my life. You can identify it. And if, as older people, if you could put something in the younger generation, that'd be one thing. Don't let something that you can take care of turn into something that you almost can't. One day, you want to be making good decisions in your youth. There are days when you make enormous decisions. You're praying, you ask God for direction. When you see something in your own personal life that needs to be taken care of, you can see by, the Bible says that the Word is, it's a mirror, it's like a looking glass. We see the reflection of ourselves, good Lord, this is where I'm missing it. This part of my character is not lining up with God. When we see that, boy, that's something, if, if younger people can identify it and make a change, how many of us know that once you get in your 40s, 50s, There are some habits 
that are hard to turn around. We all have it. Whether it might even be emotional habits. Things in our life that you can change. It's the beauty of the human race that God gave us the ability to change. He gave us choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Father, we pray and we ask that each one of us would be encouraged and strengthened, Father, and that we would learn from your word the value of taking care of problems early when you point them to us, when they are put on our heart. We pray, Lord, that each one of us would be a meek servant, that we would be quick to follow and quick to obey. And Lord, we pray for Pastor and Tiff that you grant them protection. Give them peace in their journey and bring them home safe. In Jesus' name, amen.